a very blessed day. I'm a very blessed man. Well, let's get into God's Word. <laughs> that's what we're here for. That's what, that's what satisfies me and thrills me. And One of my greatest privileges to be able to open God's Word and to teach you because there's no place on the earth that I've ever been to share the Word of God than like right here at Faith Christian Center. And I know it's not just my opinion. It's the view of a lot of people that have come through here. And that's what you do. You draw that out of people. And uh, these, these ministers don't talk with each other about it that I know of. And, and they'll talk about how easy it is to preach here. And it is so true. So it is a privilege. Praise God. You pull it out of us. And that's because you're hungry. Okay. Ephesians chapter 6. Open your Bibles there. When I find my glasses, we'll begin to read. Praise the Lord. We're going to start in verse 10. This is what we're studying. We're studying the armor of God, which is part of what the Bible teaches us about spiritual warfare. And this is what it says. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We've talked about that before. So we're to be strong in His might, the power of His might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we've looked at it. We've got the power of God on the one hand and the tricks and deceits of the devil on the other. So we know who the, battle, the, part, the generals are. We know what the weapons are. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. There's several things in here we're going to learn that, that just seem to be hard to, you know, we understand, we'll all sit in church and say yes, but out there on the ba- this is not the battlefield. Out there on the battlefield, it's just so easy to forget because this is how we were trained. I was talking to, Anita and I were talking about this before we came over tonight, how easy it is to forget that it's not flesh and blood we're wrestling against. So whatever person's annoying you, troubling you, persecuting you, driving you up a wall, they're not your enemy. Remember, the devil's a deceiver. And the greatest, the greatest deceit is to, is to convince us that he's not real or to get us to laugh at him, to not take him seriously, that he's not real. And the Bible makes clear he's real. Jesus not only talked about him, Jesus talked to him. So if he's not real, Jesus was foolish. So he's real. The other extreme he can get us to believe is that he's, you know, wears a red suit with a pitchfork and has a long tail, you know, so we laugh at him. In either case, we don't take him seriously, which is what he wants. But we're not to be afraid of him because the Bible says that when you come to Christ, you've changed kingdoms. You've been delivered out of the domain of darkness, that's his domain, and transferred over into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. So we change kingdoms, we change kings, and therefore we change reign of authority over us. So he does not have authority over you unless you give it to him. But what he's very good at is conning us into giving it to him. So he has to use deceit and tricks, which tells you he's not as powerful as he would like you to think he is. So we don't need to be afraid of him, but we need to be aware of him, and we need to deal with him, but deal with him the correct way. And part of that correct way is to learn to take on the whole armor of God. So these are, this is an armor that equips us for spiritual warfare, and as you've heard me say over and over again, I don't care how well things seem to be going for you right now, you are in a spiritual warfare. Once you become part of the body of Christ, you become a participant in a spiritual warfare. And he doesn't care about you, it's not persecuting you personally. The one he cares about, the one he hates is Jesus. 
And since we are his body, he wants to do whatever he can to get us to be ineffective so that Jesus' will will not be carried out on the earth today. And that's what this is about. And we could go off in lots of different directions about that, but I want to get into the next piece of armor tonight. Next verse 13 says, So take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand or stand in the evil day. And having, if we ever doubted whether we're in an evil day, just keep reading your newspaper. Having done all, and that's important, to stand. Verse 14, now he's going to talk about, Stand therefore, having girded your waist or your loins, the old translation said, with the belt, with truth. So what we're seeing is that each one of these pieces of armor and weapons are literally just part of God. So literally what God's saying is, put me on. Put me on. Several places, Paul, in writing to different churches, say, now here's what God's done for you, now put Christ on. He's living in you, now put Him on means to start acting like Him on the outside. Just like when before we came over here, I looked at this old suit and decided I was going to wear this tonight. So I had to put it on. It didn't climb out of the closet and get on me. I had to take it and I had to do something. See, there's a part we have to play and there's a part God has to play. And a lot of times the reason things aren't working for us is we're trying to get God to do our part and He won't. And we want to do God's part, and we can't. So we've got to find out is what God's part is and trust Him to do His part and get out of His way. Example of that. He says, he says be anxious for nothing. But in everything, that's everything you'd be anxious about, make your request known unto God with thanksgiving. So that tells me the anxious part God wants to do. So being anxious isn't our part. That's right. Psalm 127 says it's, it's, it's vain, it's foolish to stay up late worrying, especially over your kids. It's vain. Vain means worthless, empty, waste of time and energy. To stay up late worrying. All worry is is faith in what the devil's telling you. So God wants to care. Over in Peter, he says, roll your care over on me, for I care for you. Then he goes on to talk about Satan goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, one of the the ways he tries to devour you is through worry. So worry's not our job, it's God's job. To roll your care, the care of something, over on him. But then there's our responsibility. Well, part of our responsibility is to take up the full armor of God. So when we looked at truth, it's not some mystical thing out there. It is literally walking in truth. And we saw that the reason that's so important is because God is truth. Therefore, if we're going to, if God is going to be our protection and God is going to give us wisdom and protection in the midst of this battle, we have to be walking on the same terms that He walks in and that's truth. If you ever, ever get into a... a, a a discussion with somebody, let's put it that way. And, and, and you're, you know, you're a nice rational person and you lay out all these rational reasons and they say, I don't care about that. I just don't want to do that. It used to drive me up a wall because why? We're not talking the same language. We have no common ground for communicating. And the ground on which God communicates everything is truth. And until we're willing to walk in truth, first of all with ourself and then with God, we can't even hear from Him. Well, we talked several weeks ago about that. So it starts with truth, just walking in truth with yourself and truth with God. 
Then, then we began to look at the next one, which is the one we're still going to talk about tonight. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about what a breastplate is. This is pieces of armor that Paul is using that the Ephesians were very familiar with, but he's not, you know, taking, you know, get out in the morning and put on, go put your belt of truth on and go put your breastplate on. That's a nice exercise to go through, but just be honest. <laughs> That's the better way to do it. And we talked last week about what a breastplate does is it protects the vital parts of you. Vital means those that are necessary for life. And I talked to you last week about a woman I'd see a foreign correspondent in the middle, literally of rockets going off and guns being fired, and she was trying to report. And I noticed she was wearing something that got closer to it. It was clearly, it was a bulletproof vest or a flak vest. And it, but it didn't cover her arms and it didn't cover her legs and she had a helmet on her head. We'll talk about that in another week or so. But she wore this vest and what it did is it covered her vital organs. It covered her, 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 the, 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 the jugular vein, whatever it is, it runs up and down your body here. It also covered, most importantly, your heart. And, and that's scriptural because spiritually that's your most vital organ. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of your heart, flow the issues of life. We talked last week about Satan's number one target in your life is your heart. And the number one, uh, the number one weapon he uses is offense, jealousy and offense and envy. And we looked at James where James says those are doctrines of demons. Well, it's not a doctrine in the sense that he wants the church to believe it. It's a weapon. So recognize this, when you notice that you're fearing, feeling jealous of somebody, that you're, that you're envious of somebody, or that you're feeling the slightest bit of, uh, offended, recognize that's not just an emotion, that's an attack of the enemy. And what he's trying to do is sow that into your heart. Because we saw last time that in Hebrews chapter 12, that if you don't deal with that, it will form a root of bitterness by which many will be defiled, Christians. And remember, we saw this a number of weeks ago, Paul's writing this to the churches at Ephesus, and we looked back in in Acts chapter 20, where Paul said goodbye to these leaders and warned them that when he left, two things were going to happen. Ravenous wolves, not the four-legged kind, a two-legged kind, were going to come in from the outside to try to devour the sheep, that is, the believers. But more dangerously, the next verse says, and some will rise up from among you to try to draw many off. How do they draw somebody off? How does somebody that's well-established in a church get drawn off? By listening to the wrong voices. Somebody starts complaining about something. Well, I don't like this about that church, and I don't like that, and have you wondered about this? You think all those things... Remember it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Those are literally weapons of Satan. Not, you can't destroy the church because Jesus said, I will build my church. But what he can do is draw sheep away. And when the sheep get drawn away from the sheepfold and from the shepherd, they're out there on their own among the ravenous wolves. And that's what the enemy wants to do, is to separate you or me or any... And we're all susceptible. 
I can't stand before you tonight and think I'm not susceptible. I was sharing with somebody the other day. The place that I look at the most to be on guard is my heart. Because if there's any place in this church that Satan would like to sow a seed, it's in my heart. Because if he can get my heart off track, that's why James 3.1 says, don't desire to be a teacher because there's a stricter judgment. Because when you stand behind a pulpit and you speak, you are now affecting the lives of many, many people. Not even just those that sit in blue chairs, but those that listen over the radio or watch over television. Literally thousands upon thousands of people. And if something begins to get off in my heart, it will eventually affect what comes out of my heart, even though the words can be the same. So it's recognizing. So the first aspect of this breastplate is the, for the primary purpose of it is to protect our hearts from Satan's weapons, which don't, which uses people, but the weapons are spiritual weapons, and the purpose of them is to defile your heart, is to create unrest, uncertainty, doubt. Whatever is not consistent with the Word of God, that's what He wants to plant in your heart or in my heart. And so we saw the there's two aspects of this. The first one we looked at last time of what it means, what righteousness means. I went and told you a word study on it, and it, it refers to that action or the way you respond to somebody that you're in a relationship with. It's basically living right with somebody that you're in a relationship with. And I shared things about that, about our relationship that, that we've been married for 44 years and therefore we didn't sit down in the beginning and draw up a list of do's and don'ts. And, and, and I, you know, I tried to negotiate with her what I could, you know, what, what could I get away with as your husband? What are you going to let me get away with? Because that's contrary to the whole idea of being in a marriage relationship. I'm not trying to see what I can get away with. I want to see what I can bring into this relationship. And so what religion does is it tells you, well, God requires all these things of you. So on the, very, the very essence of that is I want to see how little of that I have to do and still be pleasing to God. And see, that's not worship. That's not walking out of relationship. That's not righteousness. That's bondage. Righteousness is when I love God, I see who He is, I want to honor Him by the way I live my life. So that not only am I pleasing to Him, but I don't want to bring a reproach to Him. Not only do I want to bring a reproach to Him, I want to be a, a good representative of Him. One of my consistent prayers, not just before I minister, but virtually every day, is that, Father, today I want to, Jesus, I want to represent you today. So what I want, I, help me today that I speak only what you want me to speak and I say it in the way you want me to say and that I do only what you want me to do because I represent you today. And the more I do that, the more I draw near to Him and the more I'm conscious of Him and, and therefore I begin to control my own actions not because He's saying what i got to do or not do because I want to conduct myself in a way that brings pleasure to Him. That's what this is talking about. That's what that aspect of righteousness is about. And that's really what we talked about, a lot, talked about last time. It also provides a protection because we talked about Psalm 91, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. And that when you live rightly, you're living the way God wants you to live. 
And, and so, and, and this is a time, and we ended the service by going, uh, by talking about some examples of where God was about to do something and move in people's lives, and we talked about Moses, and that God was about to, he called Moses, Moses was called to deliver the people, but before he went back into Egypt to deliver his message, God dealt with him because he'd failed to circumcise his sons. And so he, he was, had not conducted himself in a way that was right in God's eyes, and it says, literally, God came to kill him. Now, that's a tough verse to swallow, but it says what it says. God was dealing harshly with him. Moses knew better. And as I shared with you last week, you don't have to tear yourself apart. I wonder what I'm doing wrong. I'm, you know. You know, unless your heart has gotten so hard, you don't care, but you wouldn't be on here on a Wednesday night if that's where you were. So, so, so that's what we talked about last time. But there's a protection that when you're walking right in God's eyes. There's a protection because when that's why the devil wants you to get you outside that protection by not living right. And we're going to see a little more of that. Now, there's a second aspect of righteousness that we're going to look at tonight. This is that armor. It's kind of the armor again. We're looking at these things as protection. And so one of the ways of protection is, first of all, walking in truth. Another way of making... Notice he said, put it all on. So I can't put truth on yesterday and righteousness. I've got to do all of this. We'll talk about how to do that in the end. The grace is there to do that. But, but righteousness has two aspects to it. First of all, it's living right before God. That's doing what He said to do. That's not lying. That's not cheating. That's not committing all those things you know you shouldn't commit. But there's another aspect, and that's called righteousness consciousness. And what it refers to is the sense in my heart that I have standing before God and don't have to be afraid of Him. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll, we'll look at different aspects of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Then what we're going to talk about is there's a balance between these two. In chapter 3, he, he's drawing this comparison because, first of all, understand that this letter and 2 Corinthians, which we're going to look at in a minute, these letters are written by the Apostle Paul to correct a church that's not walking in righteousness. So it's right what we're talking about. This is a church that although the gifts of the Spirit are flowing in a very powerful way, this church had made the, the, the mistaken judgment that many have made after that, that because the gifts of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit of God is there, therefore that means I'm right in God's eyes. No, it just means you're open. It just means you're open and you're sensitive. One of the most telling stories to me is Peter. Because within the same chapter, Matthew 16, which we're studying on Sundays, Jesus said, you didn't figure out that answer. Because Jesus said, who, do, who, do, who am I? And Jesus, Peter said, you're the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus basically passed him on the back and said... You, you picked that up from my father. My father showed that to you. So you are sensitive enough and open enough to, to pick up that revelation of who I am. Well, just a few verses later, Jesus announces, and, and the reason I've come is to go to Jerusalem to die. And Peter said, no, you can't do that. And Jesus now says, get behind me, Satan. So in one chapter, Peter proved that he was just as open to Satan as he was to the Spirit of God. Why? Because he was open and sensitive, but not mature and discerning. 
He was open and sensitive. But that just means you're open to whatever spirit comes along. But he wasn't mature and discerning about what spirit was speaking to him. And we're going to talk a little more about that. Because in order to be protected from the wiles of the devil, you've got to be able to discern who's talking to you. What is the voice and where are you hearing it? Talk a little bit more about that a little later on. Probably not get to that tonight. So, what he's been talking about, he's correcting this church that thinks they're so... In fact, they think they're so mature that they've written a letter back to Paul telling him why he's not mature enough and therefore he can't enter the church that he founded. That would be as if Pastor Sam were still alive today and I wrote him a letter saying, I'm sorry you're not welcome back here because you're not mature enough and spiritual enough to come here. (laughs) Those of you that remember him know how dangerous that would be. Well, I assure you the Apostle Paul is even bolder and stronger, if that's possible to imagine, than Pastor Sam would have been. But the, the so it's so amazing to watch how Paul handles this. He doesn't blast them directly, but he puts them in their place to correct them, not to destroy them. And we'll see that clearly in a few minutes if we get to this. So he's talking here. He's drawing a parallel about the gift that's in them and the glory that's in them. And he's basically saying what God's done for them. And now he talks about a comparison of the glory that was under the old covenant that God handed to Moses on Mount Sinai. When he wrote it, God with his own finger on those tablets of stone. And he refers to that in chapter 3 as the covenant of, of condemnation. Because what the law led to was condemnation because it was all those rules just as I talked about with Anita of you do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this and you got to don't do it in your own strength and you got to do what you're supposed to do in your own strength and by the way you got to do it perfectly every day all the time and what they found out is just as you and I found out when we try to do it you can't So the law brought condemnation, but the purpose of the condemnation wasn't to condemn them. It was to prove to them that they couldn't do it on their own. And some of us are still in the process of proving that to ourselves. So having said that, that's the ministry he's talking about. Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry... Now he's talking about the ministry that comes by the Spirit of God coming to live inside of us and the glory that He brings... Therefore, since we have this ministry, since we have, we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, now look at this, do not lose heart. We're talking about protecting your heart. And Paul is now correcting them and saying in this process, do not lose heart. Now he's not talking about misplacing that pump in your chest. He's talking about becoming discouraged because Satan's weapon is either on one direction or the other. He either wants to get into your heart and plant strife or envy by which he can spread it to other people. But if he can't do that, what he wants to do is get in your heart and create strife with yourself and God. I'll say that again. See, it helps to understand what he's after. 
Now, I've talked to you about a deceiver is like a con man or like a pickpocket. If you know what he's after, you won't fall for his tricks because you put your hand on your wallet. We were in a crowd when we were traveling back from, from Texas. We were going through the Atlanta airport, and one of the ways you go from terminal to terminal is, through a, is an underground train. And this one was packed, and there were a bunch of people bumped into me, and when they bumped into me, my instinct was just to put my hand back on my wallet. Now, I didn't think any of them were pickpockets, but I didn't know. You don't, they don't wear signs. But when somebody bumps up against me, I don't know why they bumped up against me, but if they're a pickpocket, I know what they're after. So as long as I keep my hand on my wallet, I don't care whether they touch my arm or my hand or my leg, I've got, what they, I've got a touch on what they're after. So the same thing is true of Satan. If you know ahead of time what he's after, then you won't be distracted by the things he throws at you. You'll put your hand instead of on your wallet. You'll get your breastplate up. So understand this. He's trying to separate... What he wants you to do on the one hand is to separate you from the body of Christ in terms of your fellowship with it by planting in your heart envy, jealousy, and strife. If he can't do that, what he's going to try to do is separate you from yourself or from God by putting into your heart condemnation and discouragement. Because all discouragement is, is really strife with yourself. And that leads, I've never said that before in my life. Or strife, which leads to strife or separation from God. He's just trying to separate you. Okay. But we have renounced hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now let's drop down to... um, Verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has been shown in our hearts to give light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the excellence may be of the, of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. As I was meditating on that, I got this picture again of the armor. What he's saying here is don't, 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 don't lose heart. Don't become discouraged in your heart. But understand this, that you, the treasure that is in you is not being protected because of the strength of your flesh and of your ability, but it's being protected by the excellence of the power of God, not of ourselves. So it's another way of talking about putting on the armor of God, in this case, to protect your heart. Now let's go to, to, um, to 1 John chapter 3. And let's see why this is so important. Why the condition of your heart is so important. Of, whether, of not allowing discouragement. Have any of you ever felt discouragement before? You need to learn to recognize now that's a weapon. See, see, we think these are just emotions. They're weapons. They're weapons. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 14 that says there's no sound out there, there's no voice or word out there that does not have some significance. Well, there's no emotion that does not have significance. Emotions are powerful. Very powerful. As long, unless we have control over them and recognize what they are. 
discouragement, fear, all those negative emotions are not just something that happens to you. They're weapons. And you need to learn to identify that you're experiencing the emotion. And once you do that, to recognize somewhere that's tied to a weapon of Satan. I got to put up, put on God's armor. Don't fight the emotion with emotion. Put on the armor of God. Remember, that's what He's provided. The reason some of you are getting beaten up is you're using your own armor. And that armor is of the flesh. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. The 2 Corinthians 10 says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God. But the weapons of our flesh are going to lose every time. 1 John chapter 3. Uh, We'll start in... um, Well, verse 18. My little children, let us love not in word nor in tongue, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemns us, if our heart, if our what? If our what? Heart condemns us. So if my heart condemns me before God, God is greater than our heart. We'll talk about that in a minute. And knows all things. But if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. The reason Satan wants you to condemn your heart is because what he's after is your confidence before God. He's trying to separate you from, not from your salvation, he can't do that, but he can separate you from your relationship with God, your walking with God, your trusting in God, your intimacy with God, then he separated you from the armor of God. Remember, the armor of God are not things that you pick up. It's literally God Himself. And if He can't stop you from putting the armor off by doing what you want to do and acting differently than God, then what He'll try to do is to get you to not have confidence in that armor because you don't deserve to wear that armor because you're such an unworthy worm. What he's after is your confidence before God. Now, because God's given us a breastplate of righteousness, that means God's given us protection against that weapon. What I want you to see, first of all, what he's after is first of all, if he can get you to act unrighteously, then the rest of it's easy. You take yourself out from underneath the armor. But if he, if he can't do that, what he'll try to do is he'll try to... Because he's the accuser of the brethren. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. In Job, he appears in heaven to accuse Job to God. And there's no reason to believe... He's not doing that today. <gasps> the devil gets entrance into heaven? Well, Job says he comes and talks to God. The Bible says he gets thrown into the lake of fire at the end. 
But he's the accuser of the brethren. If he can't get God's ear accusing the brethren, he'll try to get the ear of other brethren to accuse them to you. And we have to be careful that we don't give him an ear. And he's good at it. Because he has a way of kind of sidling up to you and say, you know what? Nobody's been paying much attention to you lately. You've been working hard here in helps ministry. And nobody's really put their arm around you and thanked you. You know, the pastor just walked past you in the foyer the other day and didn't even smile and say hello to you. I wonder what he's thinking about you. He may think something about you. Then somebody else frowns at you and he begins to piece these dots together to form a picture in your mind. And if you don't recognize who's talking to you what he's, and what he's trying to do, what he will begin to do is to get you to listen to you, him and then get you to speak out of what you're feeling and now you've become an accuser. You become the voice ooh, to the accuser of the brethren. We just open our mouth and say what we're feeling. We've got to be careful whose words we're speaking. Jesus said at one point, we'll have to give an account for our idle words. What about the words that aren't idle? But where we speak, we provide the voice. I never said that before either. That we provide the voice for the accuser of the brethren. So the weapons that he's given to us are so that when we put this weapon on, that those attacks cannot get through. So there are many places we go. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. And this is something you have to put on. Verse 12. Well, we could go back earlier because he talks about entering into the rest. Verse 12. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, we talked about this when it came to truth, because that's what truth means. You can't hide anything from God. So you might as well just be open with him, because the only person you're hiding it from is you. Okay. So with that background, so we stand naked before God. Seeing then, here's the good news, that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That's the us on the inside of the armor. Now when the enemy comes at you to condemn you, he's going to come and point out what? Your weaknesses. I'm getting this as we're going on right now. This is not in my notes. He comes to point out your weaknesses. Well, you failed there. When we talk later on about discerning who's talking to you, there's certain words God doesn't use and the devil does use when it comes to these things. God doesn't say again. God doesn't say, well, you did that again. Because the Bible says if you confess your sins... He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. If he's forgotten that in his mind you didn't do it again. I think I better say that again. 
God never says you did it again. That's if you've confessed it. Now, if you haven't dealt with it, He will. But if you know you've confessed it, and that's easy, you just confess it. And you, you intend, you repent of it, which is you change your mind. I don't want to do that again. Then the Bible says He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the Bible says when He forgives you, He takes what you did and He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. Does that mean He has a memory lapse? No. But He determines to never bring it up again because in His mind, it's gone. A little aside, I, I made sure... Now, I've got, we've got an older son that's here, so I may have not done this perfectly in the beginning. But as I grew in understanding of these things and disciplined, especially the young, our younger sons, I made sure that when we, I dealt with it, when I, when, when I administered the, the, the punishment, when I applied the rod of correction to the seat of learning, <laughs> and I said, look, when we leave this room, this is done. I'm not going to bring it up to you if you do something again. I'm not going to say you did it again because you have brought it, you have brought it to me and we brought it to the cross and it's over. So when you hear this and when you know you've confessed something, you go, oh, there you did it again. You know that's not God speaking to you. It's going to be the devil because the devil's not trying to help you to repent. So we know he doesn't say, God doesn't say again. All right. So therefore, it says, we are to come boldly, that he, we have a high priest who can sympathize or understand. And not just mentally, he had to deal with weaknesses himself. And the word, the weakness means having to live in flesh and having to get it under control all the time. Because that's the only thing that gives you trouble is your flesh. And you've got to deal with it every day, all day long. It's always there. When you think you've conquered it today and you wake up tomorrow, guess what? There it is again. And he had to deal with that. So he can sympathize, understand what it's like for you to deal with it. So that's why he's a faithful high priest, because you can bring your weaknesses to him. This is part of your defense. Don't handle your weaknesses on your own. Bring them to Him. And be honest. He knows already, I'm struggling with this. I need your help with this. Strengthen me. Whatever you got to do, I'm bringing, I'm being honest with you, saying I'm having trouble controlling this myself. I need your help. That's a protection. That's why husbands and wives are protections for each other. Don't hide things from your spouse. Verse 16. Let us therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment. That was in the Old Testament. To the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now go over to Hebrews 9. We're talking about putting on 
this righteousness, and in this context, it's as a defense against the accuser of the brethren. It's a defense against the one who wants to sow in your heart doubt about yourself and therefore doubt about God. Hebrews 9, and there's so much we could do in here. Starting in 11. But Christ came as a high priest of good things to come. He's drawing a comparison here uh, between the, the, the worship practice of the Old Testament in the tabernacle and the true worship, which is when Christ came, is, to be, is performed in the true tabernacle, which is literally the physical presence of God. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, as Moses' tabernacle was, and not of this creation, not of this material realm, and not with the blood of goats and calves. Because the Old Testament practice of cleansing you, what would happen is, the method of worship is, that if you are on a regular ritual, you were to bring a goat, or depending on what you've done and the size of your family, you were to bring either a goat or some animal to the doorway, unless you were a priest, to the doorway of the tabernacle, and the, a priest would meet you there, he would inspect this animal that you were bringing, and the purpose of that animal offering was to atone for your sins. And then once a year, they would take two goats. They would take a goat, and they would sacrifice one of them. The other one they would take, and the high priest would then sprinkle blood on this other goat, lay his hands on that goat, and then he would, that goat would be led off into the wilderness, and it was known as the sacrificial land. It was, it was a scapegoat. That's where that term comes from. And what it represented, both of those animals represented an atonement or a paying of the sins of the people for that year. And when you brought your animal, that, and you paid, and you gave that animal, they would take that animal, and there were different types of ways of being killed, but essentially what it came down to, especially with the larger ones, they would cut their throat, drain the blood out, burn the animal in different ways depending on the type of sacrifice, and blood would then be sprinkled on things. In fact, when they dedicated the tabernacle, they had to sprinkle blood on everything, and then they had to put it on the thumb and the toes of the priest, and then the high priest had to have it on him too. And on their clothes, blood was spread everywhere. Why? Because it was by that blood that their sins were covered over. In the Old Testament, the sins were just covered over so that God could look at them without having to look at the sin. But it never dealt with the sin. So when Satan accused them, they were guilty. And they could say, well, okay, at least... Our sins have been covered over. But see, they could never go into the presence of God. Only one man could go, the high priest. And he could only go once a year. And that's after having performed all this ritual. And to represent the people. And part of the ritual was to pay for his own sin. And if he didn't do it just right, he dropped dead. So you had to be sure the right robes were on the right way. He had the blood the right way, said the right things, did the right things. Because if he didn't do it right, boom, he's dead. Why? Because he's walking into the literal presence of God who is absolutely holy. 
and in the presence of absolute holiness, one of them's going to go, sin or holiness. Well, it's like light and darkness. There's no contest there. When the light comes in, the darkness goes, except this is infinitely more powerful. And anything that is, has sin in it dies. Not because God's angry, it's just the nature of His holiness is anything that is not holy dies in His presence. And God provided a means by which the high priest could come in once a year, just once a year, representing everybody else. But everybody else was outside waiting for him to go in and come out. And when he came out, they knew that their sins had been covered over for another year. But look at this, and we won't have time to finish this today. That's what verse 12 is about. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Now think about how much more valuable his blood is than the blood of bulls and goats. He entered into the most holy place, that's God's throne room, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer, that's another part of the sacrifice, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, the outer man, how much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, look at this, cleanse your conscience. See, the old sacrifices couldn't cleanse your conscience. It only meant your flesh was ceremonially clean enough. How, because the sacrifice that was offered in the Old Testament wasn't valuable enough because it didn't deal with the sin, it covered it over. But Christ, who is life, because blood represents the life, whose life was infinitely more valuable, the offering of His life was valuable enough to pay for all sin. See, it's a matter of weighing the scales. I never taught this before either. It's a scale of justice. You've never seen with the scales of justice. And so when, the, when the, the blood of the bulls and goats, and again, the blood represents the value of their life. When the value of those animals was put on one side of the scale, they were not weighty enough or valuable enough to equal the sin of the people but they were weighty enough to, to represent covering them over for another year. But when Christ came, His life on the side of the scale was of such infinite value that God could put the weight of the sin of the whole world for all time on the other side of the scale and it didn't even begin to move it. Never taught it this way before. That's what how much more means. Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse not your flesh, not your mind, your heart from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, He is the mediator, the high priest, 
the go-between of the new covenant by means of his death, death for the redemption. That's different than atonement. Atonement means to cover over. Redeem means to buy back. The redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who were called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Look at verse 27. As it is appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. When he's coming back this next time, he's not coming back to judge sin. He's coming back, it says, for salvation. Now there will be a time at the end where he comes back to give a final accounting. But when he comes back again for the church, it's not for an accounting for sin because sin's been paid for. Verse chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come. Well, we've got to stop here. It's late. There are good things to come. So come back next week for the good things to come. But this week... As you go through this week, see, to come on Wednesday night and to hear this and to get excited is wonderful. But if you don't go and apply it, then listen to me, all this is is Christian entertainment. Makes you feel better for a little while. And that's good, but it won't change your life. Every one of you is going to have an opportunity to apply something you've heard tonight. And as you begin to apply it, you will find that that word will become real to you at a different level. Because now it will not just be... See, when I preach it to you, it resonates in you because your spirit's saying that's true. But the revelation of what it really means happens when you now apply it in your life. Now it becomes real to you in your life, and now that you now own that for yourself. And we'll talk more about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you have provided for us everything that we need to be not only protected but victorious in this life. For your church is to be a victorious church. And so, Father, we come to you and thank you that you've given us what we need. You've given us yourself as armor. Teach us how to put you on, truth on, righteousness on in our conduct now how to learn to put on the blood of Christ that cleanses our conscience from evil, from consciousness of evil, so that we're protected against the arm, the, the attacks of the enemy as he tries to condemn us. Thank you, Father, that you continue to strengthen us and make us strong inside. In Jesus' name.